This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 55. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. Before we get started this week, I just want to give everybody a heads up. I am running on fumes as I record this. Um, Yesterday was an extremely busy day as my wife and I tried to help her 80-something-year-old parents uh, fix up their house a little bit. And today I've been dealing with some headaches revolving around some work that needs to be done on our kitchen. So I am very, very tired. I had honestly thought about skipping recording today, but I also recognize that today is really the only chance I'm going to have, and I don't want to skip a week of the show. So bear with me. I'm going to do my best. It may not be the most enthusiastic episode of all time, but I'm going to muscle through and I'm going to give you guys hopefully some interesting content. So uh, this week we are going to continue talking about Superman Reborn. We're going to start out with Superwoman number eight and we are also going to talk about, I apologize, my list just collapsed. Hang on one second as I pull that back up. Uh, we are also going to talk about the finale of Superman Reborn with Action Comics number 976. But as always, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Now, I am recording this on Monday, February 6th. And a few hours ago, Tom Taylor dropped a spoiler about the the theme of the new upcoming Adventures of Superman John Kent miniseries. It's coming out, I think, later this month. Um, I don't want to talk extensively about that spoiler. That's not the point of this conversation. Um, but I do have to mention it for context. So I'm assuming by the time you guys are hearing this uh on Thursday of this week at the earliest. The spoiler will have become widespread enough among the Superman, DC, superhero comic book community that you probably have read it by now or have heard heard at least rumors of it. Um, But if you've managed to avoid those, if you want to skip the spoilers, just skip ahead by about two minutes. Um, So I'm going to talk about it real quick and then I'll talk about the, the overarching... Uh, reason for this segment. So uh, what Taylor tweeted out earlier this morning, and he, he probably put it out on other social media as well, but you know, my main thing's Twitter, is uh, it's the cover of Adventures of Superman, John Kent number one, and it says Countdown to Injustice. And he tweeted out that John Kent is going to be um, visiting the Injustice universe. And if by some miracle you don't know what Injustice is, it started out as a video game 
where Superman had gone rogue and has set himself up as kind of like the dictator of the world and the other superheroes of the DC. Uh, that, that alternate reality of the DC universe are fighting to stop him. And Taylor did uh, one or two um, like prequel series or tie-in series or something. And I'm sure they're very well written, but I have avoided them because I do not care for the subject matter. I do not want to read about an evil Clark Kent. And my assumption, based on going into this, is there was some talk about John um, facing uh, Ultraman again, who kept him in prison for like years on Earth 3. And by the time this series starts, John is supposed to have Clark's late 90s blue energy powers. And I'm guessing that it's going to be that John tries to use his new powers to cross the cross the bleed into Earth 3 and ends up in an Earth Injustice or whatever it's called. And there, you know, meets another evil alternate reality version of his dad, which is a, a concept I can I can get behind. I I've been ask, actually wanting the Injustice Superman to become like a villain of a main continuity Superman arc for a while now. So, you know, I'm, I'm all about this and I, I like Taylor's writing in general, so it's fine. So what I want to talk about in this segment though, and if you're done fast forwarding, you should be able to listen from this point on without me spoiling anything, is that people on Twitter had a meltdown. And I know a lot of Superman fans or fans of mainstream Superman comics are not big fans of this, this concept that Taylor is wanting to tie into again. Um, and I can get behind the sentiment, but not the reaction. Um, this, the feel of this reaction reminds me of when it was announced that Taylor was going to reveal that John is bisexual. Just absolute hissy fit. Now, I should mention that when I get tired, I get a little cranky. So, I may be coming at this segment with a little more salt than I usually do. But, I think it's appropriate in this instance. Um, for those of you that don't remember that reaction when John was announced that it was going to be revealed that it, he's going to be bisexual. I think it was the very first um, Fortress of Solitude segment that I did, which is probably all the way back in issue or episode two or three of this show. And people were losing their minds. And for the most part, I assume that those are people who do not read mainstream Superman comics um, that their impression, or I should say, that their main exposure to Superman is, and I say this with a grain of salt, the, the Snyder version. Not that that version is any, in any way a ignoble character. He, it just, he's generally just more stoic than what we see of Superman in the comics. And he 
doesn't spend as much time actually saving people directly as he does fighting the bad guys, which of course ends up saving people in the long run. But, you know, I hope you understand what I'm saying. I don't feel that that Snyder verse Henry Cavill Superman is any way comparable to um, the Superman that John is going to be meeting in this series or to uh, Homelander or to the dad from Invincible or any of that stuff. And I don't there, but I feel like if you claim to be a Superman fan and you act this way, that's probably the closest version to a Superman that might meet that kind of person's mindset. So again, not comparing Cavill, Snyder, Superman. It's not saying he's a, a bad guy or a villain or anything. I'm just saying that it tends, that seems to be the pattern on social media. And I'm going to leave it at that. And, you know, I, I was not going to stand for that back in the day. I tweeted out repeatedly, if you claim to be a Superman fan, and if you're attacking uh, a creator uh, because you don't like their work, um, you've missed the point of Superman. If you claim to be a Superman fan, and if you are attacking the reveal of a character's uh, sexual orientation, you've missed the point of Superman. And the same thing goes for people that attack Val, you know, the idea of Val Zod, of the people that attack the idea of Calvin Ellis. If you're attack, if you are, if you're punching down based on a creator's creative decision, um, which can especially the big two, can often be determined by editorial mandate. Or if you're attacking the, the identity of the character based on their race, sexual orientation, religion, so forth, so on, you've missed the point of being a Superman fan. And that goes, in my opinion, for those people who are legitimate fans of the Superman comics reacting with not malice but with angry panic over the idea of a storyline that they don't like coming back because the version of Superman in that storyline that takes place in an alternate comic book reality based on a video game I I would say that they have forgotten momentarily what it means to be a Superman fan. And I did speak out on this on Twitter this morning, and I got nothing but positive reactions, and I did notice that after I tweeted this, people that follow me did start ameliorating their tone a bit, for which I am grateful. Um, But lots of decisions have been made about characters that maybe aren't what I want to see. But I'm just one person out of you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions, that read these comics. My opinion by itself does not matter. Your opinion as a consumer by your own self, for the most part, does not matter. It's honestly what the company thinks will make money. And that's what companies are in the business to do. Um, like I said, I trust 
Tom Taylor, and I trust that this will be at least an interesting direction, be an entertaining direction for John Kent, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Now, if Tom Taylor were to come out and start saying something you know, sexist or homophobic or racist or, you know, or against any particular religion, then I would be the first one to jump in and say, okay, screw this guy. I'm not going to read his work anymore. Um, you know, I'm not going to contribute to this person uh, receiving royalties. But that's not the case. He's just doing a storyline or that he he is bringing back a storyline that some people are not fond of. And that's okay. He's entitled to do that. So everybody, if you're mad about countdown to dot, 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 again, spoilers, just take a breath. Go outside, touch some grass, look up, you know, don't look, in, don't look into the sun. Look, turn your face to the sun and enjoy the sunlight upon your face because everything going to be okay, and we're Superman fans, and we do not act like fools on social media. <sighs> That's all I have to say about that, so let's go talk about some comics. Okay, I told you I get a little cranky when I'm tired. Uh, again, we are going to start out this episode with Superwoman number eight. Now, I know usually um, when I have a Superman family supporting character, I usually cover their issue second. But this, the events of this issue actually take place between the, uh, the events of uh, Superman number 19, which we covered at the end of the last issue. And uh, I didn't have enough time to squeeze this one in at the end, so I'm going to start out with this one, and then we'll end the ish the episode with the Superman Reborn finale. So let me get to the credits here. I always love the credit finding game. All right, so this is written by Phil Jimenez with pencils and inks by Jack Herbert and Steven Segovia. Um, that's interesting. We've seen Segovia's pencils, but I haven't seen him ink someone else's work before. Colors are by Hi-Fi, letters are by Josh Reed, uh, cover is by Yasmin Putri, and variant cover is by Renato Guedes. Um, so the main cover, which is really cool, is of Lana laying comatose in a big science machine uh, with a, like a breathing mask over her face and all kinds of wires hooked up to her. And uh, John Henry Irons and his steel armor are standing right behind her looking concerned. But then, standing over Lana with uh, her hands on the back of Lana's head and on her forehead is this ghostly image of New 52 Lois Lane in her superwoman identity. And then the variant is of uh, Lana as superwoman, like grappling with Lena Luthor as Ultra Woman. And it's it's also pretty cool. So if you're new to the show, we should do a little backstory to fill in the gaps. So when New 52 Superman died, 
he gave off this energy burst and part of it went into New 52 Lois and part of it went into Lana. And Lois gained powers similar to those traditionally held by Superman. Strength, speed, invulnerability, flight, etc. And Lana gained something similar to the energy powers that Superman had in the late 90s, only red instead of blue. And I didn't think about it until this issue, but there is there there's something that relates to last episode's Fortress of Solitude segment that I'll get to when we get to it. And um, those powers killed Lois very quickly. Like we learn that she that Lois had powers at the beginning of issue one, and she died at the end of issue one. Her body crumbled to dust, and Lana's powers have been slowly killing her. And since her battle with Lena Luthor at the end of issue seven, um, Lana has been partly comatose. Steel took Lana to Superman in Superman's own books in Action Comics. And Superman took her first to the Himalayan Fortress and then to the Arctic Fortress. And since then, he has put her inside of a Kryptonian warsuit, who's, uh, the fluid inside of which is supposed to have regenerative qualities. So that is where we pick up this issue. And we see... Lana waking up on some kind of scientific medical examination table. And standing over her is this ghost-slash-hallucination of New 52 Lois that Lana's been having for some time now. And um, shortly after Lois shows up, the, the ghost-slash-hallucination of Lana's brother Ron shows up. Now, I don't know... Of what Ron's deal is. He looks like he's wearing what could be a military uniform, but it also looks like it might also be a marching band uniform or like a doorman's uniform because it's gray and he has sergeant stripes on his shoulders or sergeant, sergeant's chevrons on his sh- shoulders. <laughs> um, but the cut of the uniform looks very marching band or doorman. And then after that, uh, the hallucination or ghost of New 52 Superman and Lana's parents also show up. And Lana's brother says, we're so disappointed in you. And so Lana, in her internal monologue, says, there's anything worse than knowing you've disappointed someone who's counting on you, especially someone you love. And apparently, Lana's brother committed suicide and she wasn't there for him. And uh, because after her mom and died, dad, after her mom and dad died, she was dealing with her own grief so much that she wasn't there to comfort her brother. And um, she blames herself for him committing suicide because she wasn't there for him. And um, she also uh, blames herself for reasons that she, even she can't articulate. For New 52 Clark's death. And, um, and she says that, you know, she puts her finger in Clark's face and says, are you going to tell me how disappointed in me you are? And, you know, she says, by now it doesn't matter what you think of me because you're gone and Lois is really gone. And I know I'm just hallucinating because, um, Lois 
or I'm sorry, Lana has extreme anxiety in this book and she's been taking medications to deal with it and she's worried that either the anxiety is causing her to hallucinate or the medication is causing her to hallucinate or the powers affecting her brain are causing her to hallucinate or one of the three. Um, and um, Lois tries to take Lana by the arm and pull her away and get her to calm down and Lana yanks her arm out of Lois's hand and says get your ghost hand off of me. You shouldn't even be here to touch me. You're not real. Um, and then she blames Lois for all this because if basically when Lon is not using her powers, she's fine. When she uses her powers, she gets nosebleed. She gets intense headaches. Sometimes she blacks out and new 52 Lois, when they both got powers is the one that talked Lana into being a superhero. And so Lana blames Lois for her current condition and she grabs her head and she she has another intense headache and um, as she is talking about how she needs her pills uh, Lois, not Lois, but uh, Ron and Superman and her parents begin to fade away and the only one that's left is, um, is Lois and hang on, let me, let me find this one yeah, so um, Lois is saying, you got me into this. My family not be here anymore, but neither are you, and you're not going anywhere until I get answers. Why is my memory suddenly so cloudy? Why does the world seem different? So this is how we know that this begins after the beginning of Superman number 19. In that issue, which we talked about last episode, when... Superman realizes that the mysterious other Clark uh, is Mixus Pidlick, reality goes all higgledy-piggledy. And it's assumed that uh, Clark and Lois are just pulled into some kind of pocket dimension by Mixie, but the implication here is that reality itself is warping. And so um, uh, Lana says, I can sense changes and it's because of the two of you, isn't it? Chaos is following you again. A special kind of chaos that upends worlds, including of mine. Um, And she says, I'm angry and I'm scared and I'm asking you a fair question. What is it about you two that makes you so special? Why do universes live and die because of you? And Mixie had mentioned in Superman number 19 that no matter how many times reality gets shuffled, Clark and Lois always find each other. And the New 52 universe, where they weren't a couple, that was an anomaly. And it's because of some outside force exerting a pressure that was trying to keep them apart. So from there, we go back out into the real world where um, where Steel is sitting at a massive computer system and he's trying to work on a solution to Lana's problem. Um, there's a panel here where Steel looks a lot like The Rock. <laughs> uh, looks, he looks a lot like Dwayne Johnson. That's pretty cool. I would honestly... I don't know if Dwayne Johnson would make a good Steel or not. But he would sure look the part anyway. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think he looks pretty neat. And we get Lana's internal monologue. So... What we're getting now is Lana is almost kind of like a ghost where she is 
looking out and commenting on the real world from within this dream that she's having. And she's thinking about how she loves how much John Henry loves her, but she's also saying, I wish I could love him as much as he loves me. And that's that's really sad. Um, we see that uh, Natasha Irons is working on a suit of armor. She's there are her girlfriend Tracy Thirteen is there. There's also another girl there. They're working on all these different suits. They had created a suit for Lana called the Insect Queen, which is a nod to Silver Age Lana Lang and her insect powers. Um, beyond that nod to previous continuity, I don't, I don't really understand how that name ties into their current thing, other than that it just looks cool and sounds cool. Again, that's been my, my big issue with this series so far, is that a lot of things uh, that him and his rights in this series don't connect. There's a lot of things that happen just because they happen without an explanation. I really like Phil Jimenez's Wonder Woman in the early 2000s. I started reading that recently. It's excellent. Um, his art in that era reminds me a lot of um, George Perez, which I think was intentional for putting him on the book. Um, I really like the story arcs that he did in that, in that time. I, I'm just not fond of it here. So it's not a criticism of, of Jimenez as a whole. It's just just a critique of his work on this particular series um and so we get uh we go back to lana and we see now that lana and lois and new 52 clark are all kind of standing behind john henry so again they're they're these ghost images and um clark is not saying anything he's just kind of this stoic monolith here um and uh, Lana saying to him, "How could I, how could I have a man who loved me so much and not want to love him back the same way? Why didn't you ever love me the way John Henry loves me?" And that is disappointing that they went down that route because that is kind of Lana's main raison d'être throughout the entire uh, New Earth era. The 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 time between Crisis on Infinite Earths and Infinite Crisis is that she's this kind of someone who never got over their first boyfriend and compares every you know compares her her boyfriend to him her fiance her husband and the whole time it's this comparison to Clark and I kind of hope that we were beyond this here um and so um Lana clutches her head and she goes, it's happening again. Like being inside Ultra Woman's hypercubes, time doesn't make sense. Clark, would this be happening to me if you did love me like John Henry loves me? Or even am I even a fool for asking? And then she looks at Lois and says, because she's always been the one, right? And she always will be. At the end of the day, that's all that matters, all that counts. None of our lives or histories count if yours are threatened. We suffer the consequences while the universe shuffles its deck chairs to accommodate you. And we get stuck cleaning up whatever left, whatever's left of us, trying to make sense of it all. Now, one thing that's of interesting note in this issue, and I'll be honest, I 
do not remember. I don't remember this detail from Lois's appearances earlier in the series. And I have not paid that much attention during my my spotty read-through of the New 52. But Lois's eyes in this series are blue. They are bright blue. And, of course, Lois famously has purple eyes. So I don't know if this was a New 52 thing or if it's something they're doing here for effect. But it is interesting one way or the other. And so Lana continues to go on about how um, she feels like she's getting the raw end of the deal. She does mention her fight with Lena. He goes, and then Lex Luthor's sister turned into a giant mechanical snake and sent an army of Bizarro clones to blow up Metropolis. That was one of my things. They do not explain why Lena Luthor, her lower half, first she gets gigantic and then her lower half turns into a giant snake. There is, there is no explanation for it at all. It just happens. And it's the kind of weirdness that I don't know that one can pull off unless one is Grant Morrison. So Lois gets in Lana's face right back and says, uh, uh, she goes, life's not fair, cried the well-paid world-traveled, super-powered, highly anxious engineer. Well, boo effing who? You know why I got you involved in all this, Lana? Because I thought you could do it. Because despite your problems, I saw something amazing in you. I saw potential and vision for our, for the world, our world. All your inner monologuings about your fears and your cynicism and your particularly rough attempts at sardonic wit and your jabs at me, none of it mattered because you're smart as hell. And when it comes, when push comes to shove, you kick ass when you decide it's worth your time. Your problem is you can't get over yourself. You give right into expectations, which is exactly what you call Lena Luthor on because you hate it, because you hate being banal. And yet here you are swimming in the deep end of the drama pool and not owning how crappy it is that you have this great power and you'd rather quit and join the dead than fight through to the bitter end, whatever that might be, which is too bad because you're really great at this. And I feel that's almost like Jimenez criticizing how he's written Lana at this time because Lana does not come across as a particularly... She's a sympathetic character, but she's not a particularly likable character in the series so far. She really is, like Lois says, she's caught up so much in her own drama that she can't get her head out of her own butt. Um, We get a couple interesting little interludes. We see uh, Lex talking to Lena, and Lena now is just like she's a disembodied head that is attached by anti-gravity to a giant warsuit torso that resembles Lex's um, Bronze Age battlesuit. And he puts her in this version of this temporal cube and then puts her away in storage, at which point she she screams bloody revenge and um, it was a rogue mother box that gave Lena her her transformative ability and uh, there's a close-up of the mother box with these like um, apocalypse fire pit energies crackling out of it and Lex is saying it's about time to have a chat with these gods and that's pretty cool that uh, there is an apocalypse arc in Superman coming up eventually so maybe that gets addressed there I don't know I don't I don't think it gets addressed in this series. And then there is another interlude where the Atomic Skull 
has been helping the special crimes unit um, as both a superpowered operative and also now with retrofitting Strikers Islands with these temporal cubes or, or stasis cubes in uh, and Maggie Sawyer and the Atomic Skull and the Guardian all talk about these are more, how are more humane measures and then the skull bonds with the with the bizarre-esque clone that is left over from Lena's attack on the city. So we go back to Lana and Clark and Lois, and now they are on the Lang farm in Smallville. And um, Lois is saying that Lana was chosen because she could protect the past and connect it to the present. And... Um, Lois is saying there are forces at work around this that defy comprehension. Lois can barely figure it out herself. And um, Lana is talking about how Lois really inspires her. And she says, you made me change the way men saw women, the way women saw women. I don't know if I did any of that, but I'm grateful for the chance. So just know that I'm not trying to be a jerk when I ask you one more time, what is it about the two of you that's more important than anything else? And Lois says, it's not us that in, that's important, Lana. It's our son. So what we're seeing here is that even though this Lois looks like the New 52 version and that Clark looks like the New 52 version, what we're getting is this is the... This is a manifestation of the overall essence of Lois and Clark. And they're talking about it from a big picture perspective now. And um, Lana says, but you don't have a son. You have the other versions of you do. And then she goes, oh my God, I understand now. I get it. Just tell me one thing. When all this with the universe is settled, um, she asks Clark if they'll remember what they had of kids, if they'll remember if they ever loved each other. And Clark gives her kind of a dodgy answer. It says, you taught me how to love someone. That will be a part of us forever. And um, Clark tells her, the red energy, we need it back to go back to where we came from to become whole. And Lana says, oh, you mean the energy that's killing me? Yeah, I don't want it anymore. And there's this big energy out flux and it flows from Lana into Lois and Clark, which makes me believe this is the point in Superman number 19, which we talked about last issue, where these two red energy spheres that represent the essence of New 52 Lois and the essence of New 52 Superman show up to help John. So the two of them, they take in this energy and, um, or I should say, she begins to give off the energy and then they pause and they, they talk about uh, Lana saying she can't believe she's not going to remember any of this. And then she gives them back the rest of the energy. And the three of them fly up into the air. Um, and Clark and Lois in her Superwoman costume begin to kind of walk off into this blinding sunset. Um, and Lana says, well, hey, Lois, you and me, can we go flying one more time? And uh, Lois refers to them as Superwoman Red and Superwoman Blue, which is really neat because I, that's something I talked about at the beginning of last episode with the Fortress of Solitude segment where we are, we are getting, we get a 
a version of the Superman Red, Superman Blue story from the Silver Age in Superman Reborn. I hadn't thought about before about how Lois and Lana, with their color schemes and their personalities, also represent blue and red, which is pretty cool. And then we get this, um, we get this like double page splash of Lana and Lois as superwomen flying through the air below some fighter jets. Um, whenever I see a fighter jet like that, I guess those are like the Top Gun, like Tomcats, I always expect them to turn into Starscream or Leader One from the GoBots. I don't know. That's just how my brain works. And then Lana seemingly wakes up for a dream. And uh, she and John Henry have been taking a nap on the sofa. And and she's like, oh, I had this really weird dream. And it's starting to fade. I can't even remember it. But then on the TV, there's an explosion down in Hobbs Bay. So the Superwoman family goes into action. And she pulls open her shirt, revealing her costume. And Steel is now magically in his armor. And Natasha and Tracy are running along behind her. And they're going to go save the day. But then we realize that Lana is still dreaming because we see her real body still inside the fluid tank of the Kryptonian warsuit with John Henry's voice bubble coming from off panel saying, come back to me, Lana, please come back. And that's a pretty neat ending to this. So I, I don't know if I'm going to cover any more of this series for the podcast there is another there's an aftermath issue um next i'll probably cover that one this is the last issue by jimenez and as much as i hate to say it it's jimenez's writing that has turned me off in the series so far um there is a new writer named k perkins excuse me like letter k perkins and i will be interested to see what happens with lana and her powers. Um, it just scrolling through the uh, the covers. She is still in her Superwoman costume going forward, but her um, but her powers look different if she has any. And it'll be interesting to see what they do. And I'll talk about more about that when we get to the end of uh, the next issue that we're going to cover but it really makes me wonder how they're going to go forward and how the incident that gave her powers could still exist so let me go take a break and i'm going to run an ad and then we'll come back and we'll talk about action comics number 976 Okay, Action Comics number 976 is written by Dan Jurgens with pencils by Doug Mankey. Yay! Uh, inks by Jaime Mendoza, Christian Alamy, and Trevor Scott. And for the life of me, I could not tell you who did what. Will Quintana did the colors. Uh, Rob Lee did the letters. Patrick Gleason and John Calise did the main cover. And Gary Frank and Brad Anderson did the variant. Now, the main cover is of New 52 Superman and Rebirth Superman side by side mirror image like punching you know flying punching out towards the front and top of the of the cover it's really good and 
one of the things I particularly like about it, it really leans into the Superman red, Superman blue dynamic. The, the background is just like stars and electricity and Kirby Crackle and all that. Um, but Superman uh, of the New 52 era has like this red crackling energy around him and it makes the blue of his costume look almost purple and Rebirth Superman has this blue energy crackling around him and it makes his uniform look extra blue like to the point where it almost uh, makes the yellow of the symbol look a little green it's really really good the only criticism I have of it is their faces look almost identical and I mean maybe no I take that back the more I look at it the more I see it I rebirth Superman does look older than new 52 Superman in this and like I said last episode if Patrick Gleason had been trying rebirth Superman I probably would have been on board a lot more um I don't love the new 52 outfit I recognize it's not really armor, that it's like a technological suit, that it's like um, nanotechnology, which, you know, makes for a quicker costume change. Um, But a lot of the way that's drawn makes it look kind of clunky, in my opinion. It's one of those things, it's what I I think of as the, the George Perez effect. Or George Perez could make a costume for a character, and he could make it look awesome every time. But if another artist came along behind George and drew it, it, all, it sometimes didn't look as good. Jim Lee can do the same. Uh, Jim Lee, of course, designed the new 52 Superman costume, and it looks pretty neat when he draws it in New 52 Justice League, that first arc. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. It just doesn't look as good when some other artists work on it. Even Jurgens, And y'all know how much I love Dan Jurgens. Um, when he was drawing uh, drawing and writing New 52 Superman for a short amount of time, even he didn't make the costume really look as cool as I think it could have. But Gleason here does a, a bang-up job. Now, the, um, there is an ad between the two covers in the digital copies. I will talk about that ad at the end of the issue. I normally don't talk about the ads, but I think it's important that I talk about this one. And the same thing goes for the variant cover by Gary Frank. I It looks great. It's of a Superman, you know, flying along, kind of, you know, from the back, bottom, le- uh, left corner of the cover to the top right corner of the cover and kind of like coming towards the foreground and it looks really good but I'll talk about it at the end of the issue for reasons. Now we open with this amazing splash page of a close-up of Mixus Pidlick pointing his finger at the reader saying you Superman are a cheater anyone who cheats does not get to win and I've talked about this before how Mankey really leans into the grotesque when he needs to and this is no exception. Mixie's teeth are big. They are very uh, defined, which is something one does when one wants to add to the creepiness factor of a character. His gums are distended. His eyes are overly large. Uh, his left eye is a the the pupil is a spiral. 
and it's really, really good. <laughs> but that reminds me that if you're that this, this is your first episode of the show, that I should probably give some backstory. Now, <laughs> it's a long one. Um, the Superman and Lois Lane that we've been following for the most part of this show have been depicted as having been refugees of the pre-Flashpoint universe who got who ended up in the post-Flashpoint post-Flashpoint aka New 52 universe um, and after laying low for about 10 years uh, Clark went back into action as Superman uh, with a different costume that he than the one that he wore pre-Flashpoint um, it looks very similar only doesn't have trunks it has a red belt like pattern instead of a yellow belt and it it has blue boots with a red um, border at the top. Um, but from the waist up, it looks like you know the regular Superman costume. Shortly after Clark went back into action as Superman, another Clark Kent showed up. And this Clark Kent appeared to be human. He appeared to not have any powers. A DNA test proved that he was entirely human. A psychic scan proved that he believed himself to be fully human with memories almost identical to that of Clark, although without the Kryptonian elements. Um, Eventually, uh, Lois began investigating this Clark. She found out there was something very odd about him, um, something almost supernatural about him. Eventually, this other Clark remembered that he was, in fact, Mixus Pidlick, who had convinced himself that he was Clark Kent to avoid being recaptured by the mysterious Mr. Oz, who has some kind of plan in mind for Superman and doesn't want Mixus Pidlick getting in the way. Now, um, Superman and Lois tracked Mixie down. He made, um, after he took John from them, their, their 10, 11, 12-year-old son, because Mixie had decided, since Superman did not come rescue him from Mr. Oz, that Superman just didn't care anymore. So he was going to punish Superman by taking his son away from him and making him forget that he ever had a son. So Lois has already forgotten about John at this point, and Lois made Superman and Lois play this game where they had to fight their way through this nightmarish Candyland version of the of the Daily Planet Tower. John, meanwhile was visited by these two glowing red glowing energy orbs that appear to be the essences of the New 52 Lois Lane in the New 52 Superman, which is how that issue of Superwoman that we just talked about ties in, because apparently Lana gave them their essence back, I guess. That's just how I'm going to squeeze that in. And... As the issue closed out, um, we see that John has been rescued by New 52 Superman, who is also who has New 52 Lois Lane with him. So that, so after all that, that's where we come back to the actual episode or the actual issue, and John's like, "Yay, you did it, Mom and Dad!" and Lois is like, what did you just call me? 
And John's like, you're my mom and dad. Why would you ask that? And what's with that weird collar on your suit, dad? And Lois says, poor little boy. Everyone knows Superman doesn't have a family, which feels like a weird thing for Lois to say. Um, so there's definitely some kind of nightmare logic about this. And Superman's like, yeah, Miss Lane is right. We'll help you find your family when this is all over, but we're not your family. And John's like, what, you still don't recognize me? And Mixus Pitlick laughs and says, you made it all the way through my obstacle course, but you still don't win, Superman. And John says, you promised. You said if they reached me, everything would be fine. And Mixie is like, look, a lot of this is outside of my control, kid. There are powers at play here that even I don't have influence over. And, um, and Superman says, what are you talking about? And Mixie says, I'm just trying to exploit what is. The conditions that created all of this, well, I hate to admit it, but it's way beyond me. Got to give the credit, kid credit here. He tried to fix you, but all he did was restore what was originally done to you, Big Blue. So the way I read this, because the way the last issue ends, it looks like Rebirth, Lois, and Clark are just kind of knocked off panel. And then New 52, Superman and Lois show up. But the way this reads is that there's a template for new for Superman and for Lois. And the Rebirth versions were filling that template. And their essence has been knocked aside. And the template has been filled with the essence of the New 52 versions. And they have some of the same memories. They remember going through this whole issue, all this whole deal with, you know, signing this contract with Mixus Pidlick and fighting their way through through this tower. But they don't know exactly what's going on. And they definitely don't remember John. And, um... And uh, so Superman, he, he rushes forward, he grabs Mixus Pidlick, he says, you know, who, who's this boy? Who is he? Mixie says, the better question is, who are you? There's this really grotesque panel of this close-up of Mixie, and he's got this very Joker-like look on his face, and he's reaching up with his right hand and slowly taking off his top hat. And as he does so, the shadow over that part of his face has glasses, and when he takes the top hat off, he top hat off, or not top hat, uh, derby, um, now he looks exactly like Clark. And, um, and Clark, or Superman's like, look, I played your game, I passed your test, which is how we know that he has some memory of going through what Rebirth Superman did in this storyline. And, um, but he's like, look, I'm, I'm not going to play your games anymore. And meanwhile, John's going up to Lois and says, Mom, he, he's, he's talking about me. He made you forget me. And Lois is like, look, you seem like a nice kid, but I'm not your mom. And John starts to cry. He says, that's because of Ruppeltat. And that's what John called Mixus Pidlick in, in the stories that Clark would tell him as a kid because he couldn't say Mixus Pidlick. So he tried to say Purple Hat because he was a toddler. He couldn't say Purple Hat, so it came out Ruppeltat. And that just kind of stuck as a nickname. And Lois says, look, I, I know that this is all Mixie's fault. He's got you He's got you all mixed up about things. And John's like, no, it's not me who's mixed up. It's you guys. He made you forget. I'm your son. And Lois says, there's no way I would forget having a kid. And John's just insistent. He goes, we are a family. You guys are married. And um, as all this is going on, 
um, makes his pit look is slowly turning back into himself. And there's this panel where he has shrunk, shrunken back down to his normal size, but he's still wearing Clark Kent clothes. And he's taking off the glasses. In one foot is ahead of is you know like as he's walking forward, and that foot is like like proportioned for a six foot tall person, and then his other foot is proportioned for a much shorter person, and that's bonkers. And it's just great. It's a really unsettling effect. But then suddenly Mixie's back in his orange and purple jumpsuit. Now he's a giant. And uh, he's talking about, you know, look, you didn't want me. I was lonely. I didn't have a friend. John's going to be my friend, whether you like it or not, whether he likes it or not. And uh, he says, uh, he says, but he wants to stay in nobody, a wrinkle in the fabric of life that you can't possibly understand because you don't know anything. You don't even know what you don't know. And now Mixie is like, not just gigantic, but he's filling the whole sky. And he backhands Superman and sends him flying. And Mixie pulls out this contract. And it says, official contract. Wherein the party of the first part, me, and the party of the second part, the big blue stooge, agree that the party of the first part, me, will promptly abandon the premises, universe, multiversal dimension, and all known planes of existence if the party of the second part, the big humorless oaf, ascends to the top of the Daily Planet building. This contract is binding and considered to be in effect as long as the party of the first part, me, finds it advantageous. <laughs> Which I think is really great. And, uh, and, um, Mixie's like, well, I guess I'm going to go back to the fifth dimension and take the kid with me. And Superman grabs the contract and tears it up and says, you're not going anywhere until I want answers. Mixie says, are you crazy? You think I want a fleet of lawyers descending on me? Or even worse, him. He'll be sure to notice, and I would much rather take the kid and hit the road than deal with him. Um, and Superman asks who, and um, Mixie says, the architect of all this weirdness. Now, when I first read this, um, I was, I had kind of forgotten about the Watchmen connection in... DC Universe Rebirth, where where Batman finds the comedian's button in the Batcave. There is a Batman Flash crossover that deals with the button that's coming up. Um, I'm not going to be covering that here on the show, but it is an interesting story that I'm going to reread on my own. And uh, Doomsday Clock is coming up. And when I first read this, I was not aware that those existed. And, and again, I'd forgotten about the Watchmen connection in the Rebirth one-shot. I have not read Watchmen, and I do not intend to. I do not like Alan Moore's work. I think he has an amazing prose style, but in almost everything he's written, a woman gets beaten, raped, killed, or otherwise, you know something bad happens to them and it's it's a pattern that I find incredibly gross and if it happened once or twice especially maybe in Watchmen I could say okay this is a commentary on how you know women really would be treated if superheroes were real and blah 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 it happens too often (laughs) I, I, I just I'm just not a fan of Alan Moore's work 
Um, like I've I've read Dark Knight Returns, and I don't like Frank Miller, but I I just I refuse to read Watchmen. I refuse to read The Killing Joke. Uh, I, I won't do it. So, um, anyway, I digress. When when I first read this, I assumed they were talking about Mister Oz. That being said, knowing what's coming, I'm assuming that they're that are talking about someone much much more powerful than Mr. Oz. And you know, I'm sure you've probably read Doomsday Clock. I haven't fully read it yet. Um, I'm working my way through it. I really like it. Um, but you know, I don't I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't read it. So anyway, um, so Mixie threatens to leave again, and he threatens to take John with him. But then these two blue glowing spheres show up, and it's like, "Hey, you again? But you've changed color. I can barely understand you. What are you trying to tell me? Wait, you're really?" And then the two glowing spheres take on humanoid shapes, and John goes, "Wow!" And um, as Mixie starts to fade out again, Superman is like, trying to fire heat vision at him to make him stay or stop or something. And um, John looks at the two humanoid figures and says, help us. Or, and he says, wow. And the two figures say, help us be whole again. And one of them is male and one of them is female shaped. And John reaches out and puts a hand on each of them. And their blue glowing energy goes into his body the way the red glowing energy of the new 52 essences did in the last issue. Now, what's really neat is, again, John Kent's uh, miniseries is coming out soon, and in that series, he's going to have uh, a version of the blue energy powers that Superman had in the late 90s. And here, with this blue energy crackling into John, and then John turning around and firing it at Mixus Pidlick, and forcing him to disperse, it really makes me wonder if, if they're taking a cue from this or maybe this is the catalyst to what sets off John's blue energy powers. Who knows? It might not have been on their minds at all, but it does make me think of that. And it's really neat what happens to Mixie. Like John fires his energy at him and we see Mixie's head and his hat and his hands and everything else seems to be connected by like these wiry sticks. And it's really cool. And so Mixie fades out. And he says, I give you this kid. You got Moxie. But you don't understand what you just did, do you? And John says, what are you talking about? And Mixie says, this whole place is coming down. And something way worse than me is going to notice. My beef is with your pops, not you. I'll give you one last chance to join me out of here before the real trouble goes down. Be my new super pill. How about it? And John says, no. And Mixie says, suit yourself. Enjoy the cold sting of eternity, kid. He fades away, and this whole pocket reality begins to crumble around them. And what we have left is Superman and Lois of the New 52 universe standing on this platform, and John standing at the other end of it as everything begins to crumble. And then in the background, we have the two humanoid blue energy figures and New 52 Superman says, I don't understand how or why, but you're the key to all this, aren't you? And John says, you guys have got to listen to me. Um, and New 52 Superman says, the thought of us being your parents, that's Mixus Pitlick's work. And Lois, by now, is starting to become convinced. She goes, I'm not so sure, Superman. And John is like, tears are coming down his face. He goes, that's right, please believe me. 
And Lois says, I think maybe we should. And Superman looks over, looks at her and says, Lois? And Lois says, he's so genuine. He obviously believes what he's saying. And as they're talking, the blue energy figures are moving up behind Superman and Lois and lining up with him. And John says, you guys are married and had me and somehow it's all come undone. Like you two, like you two replaced the people you used to be. And Superman says, assuming that's true, how do we repair it? And John says, there are these almost like light beings here. I think they're connected, you guys, somehow, like some other part of you, like the parts of you that know me. You've got to hear them like I do. It could be our only chance. I love you. I don't want to lose you. And um, Lois says, other? And the two energy beings are kind of moving into Superman's and Lois's bodies. And the energy beings are saying, yes, listen to him. Listen to our son. And... Um, Superman says, yes, John, Clark. And, um, or Lois says, John, Clark. And John's like, you remember. And they all hug as the universe crumbles around them. There's, there's nothing around them but crackling blue energy. And Superman says, I do, son. I remember everything. And I will never, ever forget our love again. And Lois says, I believe in you, Clark. And I, be- I believe you, Clark. And I believe in you. And there's a splash page of Lois and Clark, who still look like the new 52 versions, um, holding each other and kissing as John hugs them both. And there's this swirling red energy that's coming out of Superman's back and this swirling blue energy that's coming out of Lois's back. And it's wrapping around the two of them, almost like a yin-yang symbol. And the next page, there's just this explosion of merged red and blue energy. And um, we get this dialogue box from Mr. Oz that says, I didn't think it was possible that Superman, his wife, and son could repair what was broken. And we see Oz from wherever mysterious place he is that watches all these things. The light is is blasting in and blinding him. And he's turning his face away and he's saying, I'm not the only one. He didn't think Superman could do it either. Now this. And we have this page where there's a panel in the middle that's shaped like the the Superman symbol, and it's got all these villains in it. And then going from, if you're following the dialogue, it starts from the top left of the page and goes in a circle around the symbol. And the dialogue says, this changes everything, a new existence-wide single reality built from two. And we have what looks like the the Jor-El and Lara from after Infinite Crisis. We see the rocket take off from Krypton, but it looks like the new 52 uh, baby cow rocket. And the narration says, a time and a history both familiar. We see Ma and Pa finding the new 52 rocket. We see young Lois and young Lana walking through school as Lex passes them the other way. So we have another nod to the post-Infinite Crisis Superman reality. We see Clark taking the job of the Daily Planet. We see Clark um, revealing the secret identity to Lois. Um, going back to the previous narration, says a timeline in history both familiar and new uh, with lives realigned, consistent with the memories and experiences of all. Then we have the the tattered cape uh, fluttering from from a, a, a pole uh, signifying the death of Superman. We have Lois and Clark getting married. The narration says, everything solidified. 
locked in so it all fits. We see Lois giving birth to John, but now it's at the Fortress of Solitude instead of Thomas Wayne's Flashpoint Batcave. Uh, we see um, Lois and Clark introducing Perry and Jimmy to baby John. And uh, then we see this one little panel that is of John standing in front of Lois. And now Lois looks very different. She, she looks more like her rebirth self. And Lois is saying, oh, it feels like I just woke up from a dream. And John says, Mom, look. And this is where we get our first, quote-unquote, first look at the reborn suit. So we have the splash page of... The three of them, it looks like they're on a rooftop in Metropolis, and Clark is floating just above the the surface, and he's saying, I'm back, we're back, and everything's going to be fine. And there's a light streaming in from behind him. And from the waist up, from the belt up, it looks like the classic Superman suit. Now there's a solid red belt that goes all the way around the waist. It has a little dip in the middle, right below the belly button. And then this little, almost belt buckle that's a yellow... It's a yellow belt buckle that's shaped like the Superman symbol. There's no trunks, but now there's red boots. So the belt reminds me of the new 52 Superman suit. Um, the, the suit being made out of, out of cloth or some kind of more flexible material, some kind of textile, um, seems to imply the, the, the classic suit... The boots imply the classic suit, but the the lack of trunks implies rebirth, and the belt implies New Fifty Two. So this is an amalgam of of all three looks. It's pretty good. It's not my favorite. My favorite is the classic with the trunks, but this is not bad. Um, <laughs> and I know it's such a pedantic thing to criticize it again. Honestly, if they if they put the red boots back and left the left the red belt-like pattern of the rebirth suit there, I'd like it better. Something about the belt feels clunky to me, and maybe it's because it's emblematic of the new 52 suit. I don't know. Um so reality seems to kind of solidify around them and we see now that they're standing on the roof of the Daily Planet. And um, Superman says, Mixus Pidlick did his best to break his apart, but he couldn't. For the first time in a long time, I feel like everything is right. And Lois says, it feels like we're whole again, thanks to John. And so the three of them, John says, uh, want to see me leap a couple of tall buildings in a single bound? And Superman says, you saved the day, leave the way, Superboy. So John leaps ahead while, John, or while, while Superman flies behind him holding on to Lois, which is very nice. And we see on the last page, Mr. Oz watching Superman. And at first, there's a panel of, of New 52 Superman in his suit, then of Superman in his rebirth suit, and then, of, and then two panels of Superman in his reborn suit. And Oz is saying, the family has done the impossible, uh, proven that true love really can conquer all for them and those connected to them. Twin realities are now united as one. Yet questions remain. Is it over or is there more? Considering what has been set into motion and the forces behind it, is it Superman who has final say or him? And the last panel 
is a zoom in of the planet Mars, which I believe is a nod, or supposed to be a nod, to Watchmen. And I don't know, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> anyway, so um, let me go back to that ad at the beginning. The ad is for the next storyline coming up after all the Reborn Aftermath stuff. And it's for part one of a storyline called Black Dawn. And it's the cover of uh, Superman number 20. Are we on 20? Yeah. Um, yeah, Superman number 20. So there's no there's no Reborn Aftermath in the main Superman book. Uh, jump straight into the Black Dawn. But it's so Superman hovering there in his Reborn suit. Um... And then the variant cover by Gary Frank is of Superman flying along in his reborn suit. So if the suit was supposed to be, you know, like a surprise at the end of the issue, it's not. Now, knowing how much stuff gets spoiled um, by, by Warner Brothers, by DC, by the creators trying to generate um, buzz... For the book, for the books, uh, there's a very good possibility that this would have already been common knowledge by the time this issue came out. I don't know. But if it wasn't, and you wanted it to be, to be that kind of, oh, wow, moment at the end of the book, it kind of gets ruined by the variant cover and by the ad on page one. But um, this is a really good, I really like this story arc. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I It feels like they recognized that as much as I love what Jurgens did to bring um, pre pre not pre crisis pre flashpoint Lois and Clark into the new Fifty Two continuity, it is rather convoluted, and I can respect. <laughs> I mean, I I used to follow, I used to really like Cable. So I, I get, you know, I can, I can appreciate a convoluted continuity to make things fit, but I do recognize that it was difficult. And I also know that there were fans of the new 52 Superman who were disappointed that their character, their version of Superman died. And so this is a way to bring to make it so that Superman never really died, where those adventures happened and are continuing on in their own way. And we'll get more of that in the next two issues of this series as we get um, in this series both and in Trinity. Um, Yeah, I think it's really good. I think it's really neat. The one... The one thing that disappointed me a little bit after reading some New 52 Superman and judging by the main cover, I would really have liked to have seen Rebirth and Reborn and New 52 Superman fighting side by side in this. That's that's the kind of one thing that bugs me is that we're never going to get to see these two versions of Superman together because now they're different points of the timeline of the same person. And we'll find out how those events line up when we 
when we get into the, the two follow-up issues of Action Comics. Um, okay, that reminds me. Let me go back that page where it was all the events going in a circle around the villains. Um, so we have what looks like um, post-Infinite Crisis Brainiac. We have Lex. We have Toy Man. We have Darkseid. We have Imperiax. We have Doomsday. Um, the rebirth version of the Eradicator. We have the pre-Flashpoint Cyborg Superman. Parasite, Blank, Mixus Pidlick, um, Bizarro, the post-Infinite Crisis Metallo, and some guy who I don't recognize that has like a goatee and arched eyebrows. Most of the... Oh, and Silver Banshee. Most of these characters are pre-Flashpoint villains of the new Superman. Um, I don't know... Oh, and right up front is Ulysses. And he's the only one of these characters I can think of that is distinctly a new 52 Superman villain. So, like I had said in the last episode... I feel like even though Superman's essence was split, um, whether it happened during Flashpoint or I, I would say it happened like right before Flashpoint, if I were to guess, that split wasn't even. It was like 40, 60 at best, probably more like 30, 70. But um, I feel like the majority of the essence went kept its new, uh, no, kept its pre-Flashpoint self together while that smaller percentage went off and gathered the experiences of the new 52 Superman. But, um, yeah, that that is it for this issue. That's it for this story arc. It's really good. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend you do so. I'm about to fall out, so that's all I'm going to talk about. For this issue, so let me take a quick break and I'll come back and wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 55 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. Thank you for toughing it out with me this episode. Um, despite my my tiredness, despite my probably what came across as crankiness. I hope you guys enjoyed the the episode as much as I enjoyed talking about these comics. If you do enjoy the show and if you'd like to help out financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope, which is where I talk about my favorite classic post-crisis Superman stories, um, which is a long-winded way of saying I get to talk about 90 Superman, and I love 90 Superman. If you guys follow me on social media, you all know that that is kind of my my comfort zone. Um, I finished the Death of Superman story arc recently. Last week, I talked about the first half of Funeral for a Friend. I'll be finishing Funeral for a Friend later this week, and next week I'll be talking about Adventures of Superman number 500 before moving on to Reign of the Supermans. There is a ton of content on the Patreon you get all of that, plus four new episodes a month for only $3 a month. Pretty good deal. But if you 
are not able to help out financially, uh, you can still help by leaving a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. That really does help new people find the show. And it's just nice when I find out that someone has given me a five-star review. It makes me feel special. Um, if you would like to follow me on social media, you can do so through the Truth, Justice, and Hope Facebook page. And you can find me on Instagram at about truth, just no, at truth, justice, and hope. Um, I do mostly just uh, promotions for the show over there, but I do the majority of my shenanigans on Twitter at about Superman. Um, I tend to do a lot of uh, issue synopses over there as I'm reading through the 90s yet again and a little bit of the of the early 2000s and a little bit of the new 52 and a little bit of 2019. I'm kind of all over the place, but I do tend to talk about the 90s the most because that's what I read at night and it's what I read on the weekends. So if you like that stuff, check it out. (laughs) Um, Next week, we are going to slow things down a little bit and we are going to talk about Super Sons number two, and Trinity number seven, both from March 15th of 2017. That'll be an unusual issue because there will be almost no actual Superman in it, but these are both really, really good issues, and I'm excited to talk about them, and I hope you are too. But until then, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart, and get some sleep. Love you.